Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome back. I'm Pastor Ken Bear with Faith Dialogue here in Celebration, Florida. We're in a sermon series called Unstoppable, and it's based on the Acts of the Apostle, recorded by the historian and gospel writer, Dr. Luke. Today we'll be in chapter 24 of the Acts of the Apostles, and we'll rejoin Paul, who recently was uh, transported to Caesarea. Uh, you may recall that uh, last week there were 40 Jews, 40 Jews that had taken a solemn oath uh, not to eat or drink until uh, they were able to kill Paul. However, Paul's sister's son, meaning his nephew, had heard of the plot against Paul and informed Paul, who called a centurion, and the centurion took the young boy to the Roman commander who actually listened to what the boy had to say. Now that led us to two of our four observations from last week. Our, our takeaways from last week, week's message, which is Acts 23. And the first of that was that, number one, there is no substance, there was no substance in this charge of subversion brought against the Apostle Paul. And we take that also, we can extrapolate that to today, there is no um, substance to the charge of subversion for Christians in general. You know, we recognize over the past 2,000 years there have been many accusation, accusations made against believers. Many have been persecuted, they've been taken to court. However, remember that Jesus said, in this world we will have persecution. He said that if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Now, the second observation from last week was that these religious zealots, religious zealots of all different stripes and kinds, will often run roughshod over their own religious laws. They can and they will lie, cheat, steal, injure, persecute, kill, and all of this mayhem is justified. Um, they justify their own actions because of their misguided allegiance uh, to their religious practice or to an individual person. Now, last week we also continued through the scripture, and we saw that the Roman commander that heard of this plot against Paul did something extraordinary. Uh, who would have thought that this Roman commander, who only a few days earlier had thought that Paul was nothing more than the, the resurgence of this, this Egyptian uh, tyrant, uh, this Jewish-Egyptian tyrant that came in and basically tried to overthrow the Roman legions. This, this Roman commander called for his, his two centurions, and he said, prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night, which is 9 o'clock. And they took Paul from Jerusalem and gave him safe passage all the way to Caesarea. Wow. So this gave us our final two observations from last week. And that was number three, that God protects and provides for his people. And God has a plan. God is still on the throne. And there's nothing that can come against, uh, against God. God will have his way, and he'll do whatever he needs to do. He'll move heaven and earth if necessary in order to make sure that his will is done. And number four, we said that God will often use non-believers, pagans, and sometimes even, even people that are prone to evil 
to bless his people. God will and does intervene. He will do more than we can hope or imagine. Uh, God is able to be able to make sure that his will is done on heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. So let's start today. We will be in verse number one of Acts 24. Let me read it to you. Now after five days, Ananias the high priest came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusations, saying, Seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight. We accept it always and in all places, most notable Felix, with all thankfulness. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. I mean, have you ever heard such dripping, insincere flattery? We're being introduced to a few new people in chapter 24, and along with Ananias, the high priest, which we saw earlier, he was the one that commanded someone to go ahead and strike Paul in the mouth. Um, he was the high priest, and history tells us he was despised by his people, a person that was only interested in himself, his power and his money. They also bring this other man, Tertullus, and you can think of him as kind of a top gun uh, lawyer. Um, but before we get into this passage, and we'll take a look at, uh, at what Tertullus says and as well as Paul's defense, I, I want to kind of shake things up a little bit. And actually, I would take chapter 24 in the Acts of the Apostle, and I would put it into two different sections. And I would label those sections differently than it probably is labeled in your Bible. Uh, the first section or first division, division number one, is verses 1 through 23. And I would label that Jesus on trial. Not Paul, but Jesus on trial. The second section, the second division, would be verses 24 through 27, and that would be Felix on trial. Now, let me, let me talk a little bit about that. In this, the first division especially, uh, you know, Paul is in Caesarea. Um, the Roman commander Claudius Lysias, remember we know his name because the Bible put it in, in the Bible. This honorable Roman commander's name is in the Bible, the living word of God, forever and ever, amen. Now, this Roman commander had 270 soldiers, and they escorted Paul. They gave him safe passage to Caesarea, where the governor, Felix, would uh, adjudicate a trial on behalf of, of the, uh, the Jewish leaders as well as Paul. However, what is really happening here is that it's not Paul really on trial, but it's Jesus. It's, it's the way. It's, 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 the, it's the Christians that are on trial. It's the gospel itself. This is not to say it's not a trial like the one that Jesus had before Pontius Pilate. It's not that kind of trial. It's actually a trial that goes on today in our very cities, in our very countries, all around the world. When we say that Jesus is on trial, we mean that everything that Jesus taught his message, the gospel itself, is on trial. You know, some believe, you and I believe, but others do not. They're skeptics. And worse than that, along with being skeptics, they're often our accusers. Now, what is it that it's on trial? Well, it's the testimony of our faith. It's the, it's the wholeness of our faith. Likely the best summary of our testimony is found in a portion of the Nicene Creed. Now, the Nicene Creed was written in the third century. It was designed to be a litmus test, a, a, a synopsis of our faith, of our common faith. 
This is what the Nicene Creed says about Jesus. This is what's on trial. It says, and for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, was buried. On the third day, he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and this kingdom will never end. Now see, that is actually what's on trial. It was on trial at the time of Paul and Festus, and it's on trial today. As we say, and you've often heard this, this is the gospel truth. The truth of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, his second coming. So as we dig into these 23 verses, the first section that I said Jesus is, is entitled Jesus on Trial, remember the section is really about what I just read from the Nicene Creed. This is what the trial is about. So let's continue. In the first few verses, Tertullus begins his talk with a bunch of flattering words towards Felix. He's pouring it on really thick. Um, Tatius, a Roman historian, uh, like Dr. Luke, describes Felix as a master of cruelty with, and lust who exercised the powers of a king with the spirit of a slave. Now that, end, uh, that spirit of the slave is interesting because historians also tell us that Felix was actually born a slave. And it was through cunning, through manipulation, that he ultimately rose to become governor of Judea. And they know when he was governor. He was governor from AD 52 to AD 60. So this really locks in exactly when Paul is in Caesarea and when this trial is taking place. These opening words by Tertullus are dripping with flattery. He says, seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity, no, this is not just flattery. This is actually an outright lie. The reality was that Felix had put down several insurrections of the Jews, and he was so cruel and humane that he was a terror to the Jews. And he knew this, and these high priests knew it, and Tertullus knew it as well. And, you know, what's interesting is that in less than 10 years after this event, in less than 10 years after this event, there's a huge Jewish revolt a huge Jewish revolt, and the, and the Jews overthrow Rome for a short period of time, and of course that ultimately leads to the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem in AD 70. Now, just as we turn to see what the Bible said about the 40 Jewish loyalists that conspired to kill Paul, let's turn to the Bible and see what the Bible says about flattery. Psalm 5, uh, verse 9 says, For there is no truth in their mouth. These are uh, flatterers. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. In the New Testament, uh, Jude, uh, chapter 1, verse 16, speaks of those who, whose mouth uh, speak great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. In Proverbs 26, it says, A flattering mouth works ruin. So after buttering up Felix as if he could fall for such dishonest and insincere words of praise, this top gun lawyer, uh, Tertullus, begins his accusations against Paul. Verse 5 says this, For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He's even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him, and we wanted to judge him according to our law. The charges against Paul were essentially that of dissension, being a leader, 
and profaning the temple. Those three things. Now here's the thing. Most non-believers, most of the pagans in the world, the irreligious, the morally corrupt, even those that profane uh, the God of which is so clearly evident, are okay with people wanting to believe in God. But when you mention the name Jesus Christ, this becomes an offense to them. Uh, you're accused of dissension. You are the rebel. You're the opposition. You're the one that's not inclusive. Now forget for a moment that the Bible has the words, whosoever believes will be saved. Forget, uh, forget for a moment that the Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. It's inclusive. That because of the kindness of God, he's extended his offer of salvation to the Gentiles. Now who are the Gentiles? Everyone that's not a Jew. You see, the Jews were God's, God's people. And this offer of salvation first went to the Jews, but now is extended to the Gentiles, meaning literally the whole world. Now, the second accusation is that Paul is accused of being a leader. Well, that's obvious. I mean, it's the leaders that typically get the primary attacks from the enemy. Now, the only really specific charge against Paul is that he tried to profane the temple. But, you know, no evidence is given of the charge because none existed. This was, a, this was a lie. It was used to get the Jews excited back when Paul was coming out of the temple uh, during the days of purification. Um, it was a lie then, and it continues to be a lie now, and there is no evidence that Paul tried to profane the temple. So let's go on. Verse 7. But the commander Lysias came by and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. So you can see Tertullus saying these things and the high priest kind of bobbing their head. All of these religious leaders saying, yep, that's exactly right. Well, again, it's, it's, all, it's all a lie. The only thing in here that's not a lie is Lysias. Uh, uh, Claudius Lysias' name is used again in the scriptures because he was the commander who rescued Paul. Now remember, this means that if you're a friend of Paul and a friend of Jesus, you're also an enemy of these people. Um, that happens to this day. Remember, like I said, this is the trial of Jesus. And if you're a friend of Jesus, you are typically an enemy of the accusers. So let's continue. Verse 10. Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it is no more than twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship, and they neither found me in the temple disrupting with anyone nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. Now notice that unlike Tertullus, Paul doesn't use flattery. He's speaking directly to Felix. Paul's main defense is in 13, that it had been 12 days since Paul had left Caesarea and gone to Jerusalem and now has returned. And during those 12 days, if there was any witnesses to Paul's dissension, to his disputing with anyone in the, in the temple, they would have brought those witnesses forward. So let's continue as Paul now wants to introduce the gospel. Paul, I love Paul. I mean, Paul, if he's given an opportunity to speak, he's going to make sure that he gets the gospel message in there. Verse 14. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, 
that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and men. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. They ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me, or else let those who are here themselves say, if they found any wrongdoings in me while I stood before the council, unless it is one for this statement which I cried out standing among them concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. You know, Paul starts by mentioning the God of his fathers, of the fathers. Jesus Christ was Jewish. Well, you often forget this. Jewish Christ, Jesus Christ was Jewish. All the apostles were Jewish. The Bible is a very Jewish book. The teachings of Jesus were not contrary to the law and the prophets, but it actually is the fulfillment of both. We believers in Jesus should never be apprehensive or embarrassed by the truth of the gospel or the evidence of the same. If we are truly following God, the truth and evidence is actually our friend. So let's continue and see what decision Felix is actually going to make in this case. But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias the commander comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide or visit him. I want you to notice how Dr. Luke, our historian and the author of this book, makes mention that Felix having more accurate knowledge of the way. This lying hired gun, the lawyer Tertullus, said that Paul was a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. But this is actually incorrect. By this time, the early Christians were no longer called the sect of the Nazarenes, but as followers of the way. It is well known to Felix, and it's well known literally to everyone in Caesarea, as this is where Paul was. Remember, Paul had been staying here with Philip, Philip and his daughters, Philip, one of the first deacons. The way in Caesarea is a very large religious group. Uh, historians estimate that it, it could be actually the majority of the people in Caesarea. As many as 10, 20, tens of thousands of people belong to the way at this time. Uh, they were not only known for their devotion to God, but also for their love of one another. Luke explains that because Felix knew this, he decided to delay his decision on the case and use the pretense of waiting for more evidence from Lysias, the Roman commander, who was actually a primary witness to all the things that went on in, 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 in Jerusalem. It is because of this more accurate knowledge of the way that Festus granted Paul liberty even while he's held in custody. Now this liberty is going to come in handy. This means that Paul can have guests, he can be provided for, he can continue to teach, and he can write. So let's continue. And now we come to verse 24. If you remember, I said that there were two divisions. The first division is Jesus on trial, and the second division, beginning in verse 24, is Festus on trial. Let me read it to you. Verse 24, And after some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. Now in the King James it says he trembled. 
and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. You know, now this is, this is interesting. Luke records that Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, or possibly it said his wife, who was actually Jewish, wanted to hear Paul. Drusilla wanted to hear Paul, and Felix came with Drusilla to hear Paul. Now, either as a curiosity or because of the reputation of the way. Just now, Drusilla, historians tell us, was a sister to Herod Agrippa II and Bernice, mentioned in Acts 25. Drusilla was Felix's third wife. And notice that the scriptures tell us that Paul reasoned to them about these three, these three things. Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And as I said, this is Felix on trial. He has an interview with the great apostle Paul, but his appointment is actually with God. Likely Paul told him what he wrote in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. And, now, and he, Paul says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed as attested by the law and the prophets. There's those two things again, the law and the prophets, and they testify of Jesus. Verse 22 says, and this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, Paul told Felix that there was a judgment to come. His judgment. All of mankind will actually be judged. And as I mentioned, in the King James, the translators said that in this, at this point that Felix trembled. Well, why would Felix tremble? Because hearing the gospel made Felix afraid, and it should have. Some people, you know, come to the Lord out of fear, out of judgment, and others come to the Lord because of the love of God, because that God had provided a way for all men to be justified in the, in, in the, in the sight of God the Father. Either way, when we hear the gospel, a decision is required. And all of us have to decide for God or against God. What did Felix do? Felix procrastinated. He said, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. You know, here's the thing. There's never a convenient time. You know, back in the 1980s, Carol and I were living in uh, the Detroit area, and there was a gospel group, a wonderful gospel group. They were called the Winans. It was a family. And they were from Detroit as well. And they, they sang a song. They recorded a song called Tomorrow. And it speaks specifically of this procrastination of putting off till tomorrow that decision for God or against God. The lyrics of the song went like this. Jesus said, here I stand. Won't you please let me in? And you said, I will tomorrow. Jesus said, I am he who supplies all your needs. And you said, I know, but tomorrow. You know, Felix was unwilling to declare his decision against Jesus or for Jesus. So, so instead he said, tomorrow. Under the, now, this is actually just a pretense for delaying a decision. Now, today, many people respond in the same way. Maybe you've experienced this as well in sharing your faith with your family, with your friends. People want to make a decision, but they delay. They want more information. They, they come up with some excuse. They don't decide for God or against God, but they delay. The Bible says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, Today is the day of salvation. That's out of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 
Dr. Luke discloses another evil intention in the heart of Felix. Verse 26, and this will be the end of our chapter 24. Verse 26 says this. It says, Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given to him by Paul, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, Porcius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. You know, people like Paul cannot be bribed. Felix may have wanted money, but actually what he needed even more was Jesus. Nevertheless, Felix left Paul bound. He was a, a prisoner. No doubt Felix knew Paul had done nothing wrong that would require a prison sentence, but nevertheless, he also delayed and kept Paul bound. So today in chapter 24, we saw two trials. Jesus on trial and then Felix on trial. The truth is that every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says that all of us, all of us will give an account of our life. Now there's good news. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, he says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it that will condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Then Paul continues, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, Paul says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why we make the decision. Today is the day of decision. Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this chapter in the book of Acts. We thank you. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.